Yeah, so I want to talk to you about the, the 1023 campaign uh, and, and what we did in uh, trying to tackle homeopathy uh, here and, and internationally in the end. It was set up, the 1023 campaign, by the Merseyside Skeptic Society, which is a voluntary organization set up by uh, myself and a couple of friends who are science interested but not working scientists. And it started very much with, with three men in a pub in Liverpool, September 2009, which is bizarre because it was um, only about four months later, five months later, something like that, that we were stood there on the steps of a landmark in Liverpool with 40 of our friends overdosing, overdosing, uh, while 400 people around the UK joined in. And then just a year later, even more crazily, uh, that's me sort of conducting a, a mass overdose of 350 people in a room in Manchester at uh, the QED conference where uh, 1,600 people took part worldwide. I think some people here might have taken part in QED. Stick your hands up if you were there. Excellent, fantastic. And they survived, which is, which is great news. So first of all, I'd like to sort of go into why we chose homeopathy in particular, because there might be some people here who use homeopathy. A lot of people who do use homeopathy don't tend to know what it really is, and this is one of the reasons we, we chose to look at it. When you look at opinion polls of what homeopathy is and understanding of what homeopathy is, most people tend to come out thinking it's herbal, that it's chemical-free, that it's all natural, and they don't realize it's actually none of those things. I mean, quite what chemical-free means, I don't really know. Surely it's all chemicals. I'm not a chemist. So most people don't actually know that, yet they're the ones using it. There are a very, uh, very large number of casual users who just don't know what homeopathy actually is. And they also don't know that's been proven in pretty much every decent clinical trial to work no better than the placebo effect which would be fine if the NHS wasn't spending four million pounds a year of it, and especially at a time when uh, nurses losing their jobs and the NHS budgets are being cut left, right, and centre. That's quite a lot of money. There's also the, the private market homeopathy, which in the UK is worth 40 million pounds a year. That's boots and various other sort of uh, high street homeopaths, uh, which is actually quite expensive given that this stuff is just sugar. I mean, if you look at it pound for pound, this is a great stat that, uh, that a friend of mine pointed out. Pound for pound homeopathy is more expensive than silver which when people say it's an expensive treatment, then uh, there, there's a stat to throw back in their face. And all this would be fine if it wasn't used to treat things like malaria, AIDS, cancer, yellow fever, typhoid, infant diarrhea, your, your top 10 of the things that kill people around the world. There's a homeopath somewhere trying to give them sugar pills to treat their conditions, which we think is absolutely uh, terrible. And at a time when um, the, the, the skeptical community, if you want to call it that, was taking a lot of time and attention uh, to tackle chiropractic off the back of Simon Singh being sued by the British Chiropractic Association, we figured we could either add our small voice to that chorus or we could start fighting in another direction and make sure that uh, while the light is on chiropractic, homeopathy uh, isn't growing in the darkness. So we decided we'd tackle homeopathy uh, and, that, and that's why we decided to set up a campaign. In case there's anyone here who doesn't know an awful lot about homeopathy, don't worry, you're, you're certainly not in the minority. Most people don't really know an awful lot about it. I'll just very quickly run through the, the history and the background of what homeopathy actually is. Uh, it was invented by this man here, Samuel Hahnemann. Uh, he looks like he's got his head in the clouds. I think that's just his haircut. It's very fashionable back in the day. Uh, and he came up with, uh, it was 200 years ago, he came up with three laws. And he called them laws because they weren't real laws. So if you call them laws, people might think they're true. Um, the law of similars, the law of infinitesimals, and the law of succussion. Uh, I'll run through these very quickly. The law of similars is that like cures like. The idea being if uh, somebody's suffering from something, you'd give them a substance which would cause that symptom, the body will learn to fight it because that substance and then learn to fight it overall. A bit like vaccines, except nothing like vaccines. How homeopaths do it is if you're insomniac, you take coffee because that also makes you, it's a stimulant, it makes you not, very, uh, not able to sleep and then that will help somehow cure your insomnia. Similarly, uh, it, it's very much, despite what a homeopath will tell you and it's always you hear all the time, we treat the individual, we don't want to treat the symptom, that's complete nonsense because what they specifically say is you take a look at the symptoms and you see what causes that symptom and that's what you give somebody. So you're very much treating the symptoms and uh, for example, with hair fever, one of the symptoms is you'll be very teary-eyed. What else causes teary eyes? Well, cutting onions 
So if you give someone onion juice, that'll, cause, that'll cure hair fever. Um, similarly, you could say that if you have lung cancer, give someone asbestos. It's absolute gibberish. Uh, and despite what homeopaths will often say, this is very much like vaccines. Uh, and it fundamentally is it for reasons I'm sure you're all aware of. Vaccines contain deadened forms of viruses that your immune system learns to fight off, and then it can fight off the live virus when it sees it, whereas homeopathy contains onion juice. Totally different. So obviously you've got this, this idea that giving someone a stimulant to, to cure their insomnia is a good idea. Well, obviously you're going to have people more stimulated. So how do you deal with that? Well, you could either abandon your theory and realize it's nonsense, or you can do what Sir Hahnemann did, and that's come up with a whole other law to say, well, what we do is we don't give them a lot, a lot of it. We'll actually dilute it down so that um, we remove the negative effects and keep the strong healing magic effect. And his idea was that the greater you dilute something, the stronger it gets. If anyone here has ever drank Ribena, they'll know that's complete nonsense. The, the more you dilute it, the less black currency it gets. He should have known that. Uh, and then he'll go through this insane amount of dilution, which I'll show you in a moment, and then he'll drop all that into a sugar pill to, to administer to the patient. Um, just running through the dilution involved, because it is really, really remarkable to see just how dilute this stuff gets. And you take a single drop of, say, caffeine, stick it in 99 drops of water, and give it a shake. The shake's very important. And you'll get a 1C remedy. That's a 1% caffeine remedy, which, you know, you've got a reasonable chance of, chance of finding caffeine in that. Um, but if you then take a drop of that and stick it into another 99 drops of water and give it a shake, uh, you've got a 2C, which is 1 in 10,000. And then a drop of that into another 99, you get 1 in a million, 1 in all them numbers, 4C, 5C, more zeros. And 6C, this is a low-strength preparation. This is the lowest you can buy on the high streets if you want to boots. And at 6C, that's uh, one mole molecule of caffeine. The chance of finding it are roughly one in a thousand billion, unless I've added those zeros up wrong, as I say, I'm not a chemist or mathematician. But to be guaranteed that molecule of caffeine, you'd need to drink a glass of water 500 meters in diameter. And if you've got insomnia and you're drinking a glass of water 500 meters in diameter, I think inability to sleep is going to be the least of your priorities. But they don't stop there, given, even though this is completely insane. They don't stop there. They carry on. They'll take a drop of that into another 99, another 99. That's what 10C looks like there. Uh, that's 12C, which is approximately the Avogadro limit, uh, which I won't go into chemistry of, because I'm not a chemist, and you probably are, and I'll just embarrass myself. Uh, but essentially, it means that uh, in any given sample, your chance of finding a single molecule of the caffeine is pretty much zero. It's actually 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 0.602. So it's, it's incredibly small. You're not going to find that caffeine. And they don't stop there. That's what 20C looks like. That's what 30C looks like. This is a medium strength preparation. This is what we overdosed on in Boots. Um, and they sell this for five pounds uh, for a bottle of about 80 pills, something like that, five grams of sugar. Uh, and in that 30C preparation, to guarantee a molecule of caffeine, you need to drink a glass of water bigger than the galaxy by many, many times. I'm going to throw my phone away because that's probably me doing it, sorry. So yeah, if you're, again, if you're going to drink a glass of water many times the size of the galaxy, not sleeping is going to be the least of your problems. Uh, and insanely, they don't, they don't stop there. They'll dilute it again. That's 40C, which is the same as the number of atoms in the known universe. And they dilute beyond that, which is remarkable, to 50C, 100C, and that's what 200C looks like. And this is a very strong preparation. All those zeros there, I'm not even going to begin to read them out, but if I did, it would look something like that. You can read it in your heads. I'm not going to say a billion that many times, because I'll start sounding like Carl Sagan. Um, but you're not going to get a, a drop of uh, caffeine in that. It's, it's pretty dilute stuff. It's not going to work. It's useless. And finally, the, the, the final law is if you're diluting this much and you want to still prove that there's something happening there, well, you come up with another law. You come up with a bit of magic that water has some kind of memory. Uh, and that shaking or tapping this water against a hard surface somehow activates the memory in a process known as succussion. Uh, it's a process we know as complete gibberish. It doesn't make any sense to anyone. Uh, and, and if you tell people this, even if they're casual users of homeopathy, they'll tend to believe that homeopathy is nonsense. They'll tend to see why it's, it's kind of patently see-through. And this is, this is the whole reason we started the campaign, really, to raise awareness of the fact that homeopathy doesn't work in the people who use it quite casually.
So when we sat down to design the campaign, we started thinking about what message we want to put across. Because we could pull out one of the many, many sort of tens, hundreds of studies that have shown homeopathy ineffective, to be, that have shown it to be just a placebo. But the problem is those studies have been around for ages, and people are still buying homeopathy. If the science alone was enough, they just stopped a long time ago. So there's something else that's happening that's making people carry on buying homeopathy that the science isn't enough to convince them. Homeopathy has been discredited for well over a century scientifically. So we thought we, we'd want to try and do something a little bit different that doesn't just involve sticking the science in front of people and hoping they'll read it. Uh, at the same time, we weren't trying to reach the people who were selling homeopathy. We had no interest uh, as much, really, in trying to convince the people who are ardent, true believers, the people who are homeopaths, the people who have been using it for 40 years and swore by it and recommended it to all their friends. Those people had such entrenched views. They weren't the, the real target audience we were going for with the 1020 campaign. What we wanted were the people who would walk into boots looking for something to cure their cold or their headache, and they'd walk past all the paracetamol, walk up to the alternative medicine aisle, and think, well, if it's sold in boots, it must work. Maybe I'll give this a go. And the people who didn't know what homeopathy was, and that's the crowd who are really going for with the 1023 campaign. And that's, why, that's how we designed our, our sort of message, our tone of voice, and, and what we were trying to do, really. And this is where the 1023 campaign was born. We thought, first of all, we need a really simple message. We don't need to give people papers and papers for them to read uh, and try and sift through and find the science. We need to give, it some, give a message that people can see and immediately understand and walk away with in 10 seconds. So this is why we came up with, there's nothing in it. Which is true, it's all zeros, there's nothing in it, but at the same time, we're saying homeopathy is nonsense. So this was the, the core message we were trying to get across in everything we did. Similarly, we came up with the name 1023, partly because we were going to do things at 1023 in the morning, which is a, a, it's one of those things where if you do something at a really um, esoteric, unusual time, people assume there's a reason for it and look into that reason. If we did it at 10 o'clock, people would just say, well, it's convenient, you know, it's just after breakfast. So we came up with 1023 as the name, which you might remember was the, a reference to Avogadro's constant, and this was actually quite useful, Avogadro's constant being 6.02 uh, times 10 to the 23. And it's quite useful because whenever the newspapers reported on the campaign, it meant they couldn't just say the 1023 without explaining why it was called the 1023. It would leave that question unanswered. They had to answer it. So we were crowbarring in the, the reason that homeopathy has nothing in it, or one of the reasons homeopathy can be shown to have nothing in it. We were crowbarring that into all the media reports. And this was what we were trying to do right up front. And the other thing we tried to do with the campaign was to create a, a banner for people to get behind. Because there were many, many skeptical bloggers and, and people on Twitter and things, and people like uh, Professor Colquhoun, uh, who'd been for a long time fighting against homeopathy and, point, and proving why it's nonsense and taking on the claims and taking on some of the papers uh, and, and demonstrating that homeopathy is a pseudoscience. And there, there were hundreds, if not thousands of people probably doing that. And we wanted to try and get everyone's efforts targeted in one direction so people didn't have to all do the basics themselves, but they could rely on a base level of, uh, of information and just use that campaign to sort of fight. So this is what we were trying to do, is to create a, a banner for people to gather behind. First thing we did was target Boots. I just want to touch very briefly on why we targeted Boots. First of all, Boots sell their own brand homeopathy, and we find this really annoying. Um, it's, it's all very well for Holland and Barrett's and for your high street homeopaths to, to sell their own homeopathy, but Boots are a, high, uh, are a massively trusted high street brand, probably the most trusted, certainly in healthcare, um, outside of the NHS. It's where people go for their health information. So it was really annoying that they were selling, as well as good, good stuff, as well as paracetamols and things that have been proven to work, they were selling this nonsense, the sugar pills, and basically bilking the customers for cash. On top of that, if you're a, a private homeopath practicing out of your back bedroom, you don't necessarily have the, the background, the expertise, and the funding to put homeopathy to the test and figure out whether it works or not. And you certainly don't have the inclination. Well, Boots do have the expertise. They do have the, the funding. They've got the... The, the, the pharmacists with, uh, with a whole lot of experience, they should have actually been testing this stuff. They should know this stuff doesn't work. And they actually admitted that they didn't believe it worked. Uh, they admitted in the Science Technology Report, which looked at the evidence for homeopathy, where uh, Paul Bennett, the Professional Standards Director of Boots, issued a fantastic quote, which I've, I've reproduced there, but it essentially says, 
we don't sell it because we believe it, we sell it because it sells, which is a phenomenal statement for a professional standards director. Um, so that's why we targeted Boost, and the first thing we did is we wrote an open letter to Boost. We tried to keep it nice, friendly, but firm. We were just saying, look, you know this doesn't work, this doesn't work. we know it doesn't work, you shouldn't be stuck in this. You know, we were appealing to their, their um, sense of customer loyalty, their sense of, of, of quality. Uh, we got 2,500 signatures to that letter, which was great that that showed there was real interest there in, in, in having Boots stop selling homeopathy and, and, and be, be honest to their customers. But we didn't get a response from Boots. Boots probably quite wisely ducked their head down and hoped the whole thing would blow over. So we thought, let's make it not blow over. Let's do something a little bit big to try and, try and draw a little bit more attention to it. And this is where the whole overdose idea came from. Originally, the overdose was just a way of publicizing this open letter. The open letter was the end game to begin with, and this was just a publicity stunt for it. But it, be, it soon became very, very clear that it was a much bigger idea than that. It, it, was, it dwarfed the open letter, that it was a, a real chance to get a lot of people gathering together and doing something. So it, this became our, our main goal, this, this overdose stunt that we, we took on. The background to the overdose stunt, it was a bit, a bit of an odd story. We were sat in a pub having a drink for skeptics in the pub in, uh, in Liverpool, and there just happened to be two Belgian tourists sat next to us. And they weren't with us, but they were just overhearing what we were talking about, and they came to join us for a drink, and we were chatting for, uh, for the rest of the night. And they said at the end of the night, oh, are there, this is really interesting, are there any Belgian skeptics that we should know about? I thought, well, you know, Google, straight on the iPhone, had a bit of a, a Google for, uh, for Belgian skeptics, and the top result was Belgian skeptics commit mass suicide. And we, we didn't read the news story, so we had to sort of say to the guys, look, we've got some good news and some bad news. You know, <laughs> there were some Belgian skeptics. <laughs> But when you actually looked into the story, um, it was a group of about 30 people, uh, the, the, the Belgian skeptics, they're called SCEP, the organization, who did an overdose where they prepared their own homeopathic preparations made of things like cockroaches and bleach. It was a real sort of witch's concoction. And it made, it made national news. And we thought, this is fantastic, because obviously the, the overdose stunt has been happening at an individual level for a long time. People like James Randi, Simon Singh, Michael Shermer, they've got a long history of, of taking an overdose homeopathic sleeping pills to prove that they don't make you fall asleep. But it had never really been done at a, at a mass participation level. And this Belgian skeptic idea was probably the biggest that had been done. And we thought, we, we've got to be Belgium. <laughs> so, so this is where the, the 1023 campaign mass overdose came from in the UK. Our idea was to try and get as many people in as many different places as possible outside their local booths. And uh, when we sat down to look at this, there was a fantastic movement of, of skeptics in the pub groups opening all across the UK. I know there's one here in Cambridge, which uh, I know Andy runs. Uh, we've got one in Liverpool. There's, there's London, which is Longstead. There's um, Leicester. And all these groups are, uh, are, are very passionate and have a lot of people who are very interested, who might not be scientists, but are very science interested like us. So we decided to engage with those groups and say, look, we don't want to be your boss. We don't want to tell you what to do. What we want is to hand you a load of materials and let you run your own events under this one banner. And we'll just act as kind of like a, a coordinator across the country. Um, there's a couple of things we need to do in terms of risk assessment. Obviously, we didn't want a homeopath turning up, taking the overdose and going, ah, because it could have really messed up the actual campaign if there's lots of photos of people pretending to fall over. So we did a bit of risk assessment, but ultimately, we, we really wanted each group to be independent, in control of their own, uh, their own event, uh, and very much involved, because we thought if we can get people passionate and get people moving on this, it'll last beyond the overdose, and it'll carry on into other kind of activities like blogging and, and, and making complaints, as Reese pointed out, and, and all that kind of stuff that can really make a difference. So it, this, is, this is the first overdose, the 30th of January at 10.23 a.m., 2010. Here's a couple of the groups there outside uh, their local branch of Boots. We actually got, I think it was 13 cities. Uh, we had 400 people uh, across the country, including a group of about 60 or something in London. It was fantastic. Uh, we also had groups in uh, Australia and Spain and uh, a few other places who just seen what we were doing and decided to emulate it at the same time, just spontaneously. We didn't really sort of try and, and get those guys working. So it was great. We had more than 400 people all around the world. And because 
we, uh, the way we'd structured it, because we tried to make it something a bit fun, a bit cheeky, a bit silly, but also with a message, it really caught the media's attention. Um, it made front pages of the BBC News websites. It was there all day. Um, every national newspaper covered it. Even the Daily Mail gave it a positive, skeptical write-up, which I was stunned by, frankly. Um, it, it made hours and hours of local and national radio. There were plenty of debates going on with, uh, with people like um, I know Professor Calhoun again and, and Ben Goldacre and uh, the odd appearance from myself sort of debating uh, local homeopaths and, and trying to show that th these, uh, these pills don't work at all. Um, it also caught international press. It appeared in uh, Die Spiegel magazine in Germany, and uh, there was a documentary in France. It was really fantastic, just off this one, one event. And ultimately, nobody died, which was, which was a, a real win for us. So yeah, and, and, and after the campaign had finished, after, as we looked throughout February and March and, and the coming months, uh, we noticed there were a lot of things that were happening. And they weren't happening specifically because of the 1023 campaign, but we, sort of, uh, we added into the, sort of the, the voice, the call for, for things, the, the, the criticism of homeopathy. And there was a real sort of uh, um, uh, a coming together of different forces here. Uh, and a few of the things that happened, the, the British Medical Association's junior doctors um, said at their annual conference, uh, they passed a motion declaring homeopathy witchcraft, uh, which made a lot of headlines. Um, similarly, the, the British Medical Association themselves the next day passed a motion um, with an overwhelming majority that stating that homeopathy should not be funded by the NHS and that it should be ended. Uh, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society of Great Britain officially labeled, uh, called for labeling of homeopathy as a placebo um, on the, the shelves of pharmacies, which was fantastic. And also the, the Science and Technology Committee specifically came out and said homeopathy should, it is just a placebo. The evidence isn't there to support it. It should not be funded in the NHS. And because of that report, there are many primary care trusts actually ceasing homeopathy funding right now. And our Greater Manchester just completely um, packed in off the back of that report. Wirral is currently reviewing it, as is Liverpool, and a few other places uh, as well, which is, which is really great. Um, we've also seen an astounding response on blogs of people actually taking on homeopathy and taking on homeopaths and picking apart arguments and pointing out flaws in, in logic and things, which is great because it shows that people are really getting sort of invigorated and interested. And you can see that through the, 10, the hash 1023 tag on Twitter. It's fantastic. It's really taken on a, a life of its own, and it, it's grown far beyond we could ever have imagined. And because of all this kind of interest in, in the aftermath, we had to do it again because we realized the first time we only really quite strongly tackled homeopathy in the UK. But homeopathy is much wider than that. It's uh, 400 million euros a year in Germany, uh, 400 million euros a year market in Germany. Uh, the same in France. It's considered to be respected in many ways, uh, healthcare system in India, which despite the fact it doesn't actually help anyone. So for the campaign to really progress, we had to reach other countries. Uh, and this is when we, we set ourselves the 1023 challenge for 2011, which is we were trying to find 10 countries participating, 23 cities, uh, and I haven't written it there because it's a bit ridiculous, but we were actually going for 1,023 people as well, just to really push home that meme. Um, because it was going to happen on the February 5th and 6th at, 2000, uh, at 1023 on 2011, which is 0602-1023. It's performance art, really. We just keep echoing this Avogadro thing. And this is what we're really going for. So in a similar kind of way, we, we uh, were engaging with the, the local groups all around the world and, and appealing for help on Twitter and, and friends of friends recommending people in Mexico. And we had this fantastic sort of two, three months where we very, very quickly passed every one of our expectations. We were aiming for 10 countries, 23 cities. We've got 30 countries and 70 cities. Um, in, the U in the US, uh, the James Randi Educational Foundation got on board with us, and, and uh, they're now fighting it in, uh, in America. They, we had a fantastic participation there. We had every continent covered, which was bizarre, including Antarctica. You can see the little dot there, which, which was a really cool one. That, that, that's, the Antarctic one really shows the power of the internet because it was um, one of our contacts in, in Portugal sent me a random email at about one in the morning saying, I've just woken up and I've had this ridiculous idea. Do we know anyone in Antarctica? So it literally took a message out on Twitter, 
And uh, about half an hour later, I had someone in Antarctica, a research scientist, willing to take an overdose in the middle of uh, this, this, arc, this Antarctic wilderness. It was fantastic. And we actually got 1,600 people all around the world on the day. It was, it was phenomenal. Um, here's a few photos from the campaign worldwide. Uh, the first one on the top right there, that's a, a statue of Samuel Hahnemann at Zaragoza University in Spain. Uh, and he's very kindly uh, agreed to model our T-shirt and hat, which is good to see him get on board with the campaign. The second one, that's from, uh, from Buenos Aires uh, in Argentina. Uh, I believe this one was uh, Lisbon in Portugal. Uh, this one's very, very cool. This is Waikiki Beach in Honolulu. And the person who did this is actually sat in the audience right there. Put your hand up, Martin. He happened to be in Honolulu at the time, and he took a, an overdose in, uh, on Waikiki Beach in Honolulu. It was fantastic. Uh, and then we have, uh, I think that's Porto Alegre in Brazil. There, this is, this is Budapest in Hungary. This is Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, and this is our fella in, uh, in Antarctic taking an overdose of uh, insomnia relief spray with his, his doctor there, and uh, neither of them fell asleep. So we had this fantastic kind of, this, this fantastic set of stories. And I urge you, if, you, if you're interested at all, uh, to just Google sort of 1023 or stick on YouTube 1023 and just see there's, there's so many videos there of people engaging with this silly idea we came up with in Liverpool about a year and a half ago. And the aftermath of that was quite interesting again. Um, once more, we saw a, a really huge media take-up all around the world this time. More than 20 countries had national television, radio, and newspaper coverage in a, in a really, really significant kind of way. Every one of those telling a, a positive, skeptical story about homeopathy. They say, look, there is nothing in this. The message being translated into every one of those different languages. There's nothing in homeopathy. And we had a demonstration in Brussels against the EU legislation which allows for homeopathy, homeopathy to be sold as a medicine, despite it doesn't have to prove that it actually works. We had a demonstration there where they're trying to repeal those directives and, and, and cut out the loopholes that homeopaths manufactured for themselves. Um, in Brazil, we, we got this uh, on, the, on the day of the overdose. It was a fantastic uh, result. The, the um, health service in Brazil uh, have announced they're officially reviewing homeopathy as a direct result of the 1023 campaign. This is something they actually specifically said. Because of the interest they've had um, across the country in this, they're going to review whether they should carry on funding homeopathy, which is fantastic. Um, we've also established a global cause and a global support network. There's now people all around the world able to con communicate with each other on, on this topic and try and work together to try and um, sort of spread awareness and spread, uh, spread information and, and, and tactics. And there's also a lot of annoyed homeopaths out there, which is, uh, amuses me no end. And still, there's no death, which is, which is great, which kind of goes to show that there's nothing in it, um, which is kind of what I, I want to end on. But I just want to sort of touch on one last thing, uh, which was one of the, the daft uh, sort of wins we had along the way. And I had to share this because it's fantastic. Um, just at one point, when we were looking about how, how to set up websites, things like that, um, one thing we noticed was that howdoesholmeopathywork.com wasn't taken. Nobody had bought that at any point. So we bought it. Uh, and we got more than a half a million hits uh, to that website in the last year which is great because this is what it says. <laughs> which is fantastic. And what, you can't read the small print, but the small print's great. It says, uh, if you notice any mistakes or errors on this website, please email, email us. We'll publish a correction. Please note the correction will not be accepted unless accompanied by robust peer-reviewed scientific data. Uh, and so far, we haven't had to actually change anything on there. So it turns out this, this must be true. Uh, yeah, there's, there's nothing in it. And that's what I, I want to end on, really.